Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? Want to gamble? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. power set ablaze for our amusement, calling to our most primal instincts, challenging us to beat the odds regardless of what they are. Fremont Street is one of the lucky few places that started as the epicenter of the city, then became an afterthought, thanks to the Strip, and finally reinvented to draw crowds back to it. The Fremont Street experience has secured itself as a must-see attraction, as popular as the fountains of Bellagio and the Mirage Volcano. Last time, we talked about how Golden Gate and Circa became the anchor properties on Fremont and Main Street. Now let's move east across 1st Street to get to Block 15, populated by addresses 100 to 128 Fremont. Home today to Binion's. Block 15. This block had to come a long way to get to its current incarnation. It started July 27, 1929, when the Boulder Club, the first notable property located on Block 15, opened at 118 Fremont Street. It was also one of the first four properties to be awarded a gaming license after the state of Nevada re-legalized gambling in 1931. It was also one of the first four properties to be awarded a gaming license after the state of Nevada re-legalized gambling in 1931. In fact, it was the actual first gaming license to be issued. Probably because the Boulder Club had been a gambling operation since it opened in 1929, two years before it was even legal. The Boulder Club helped to kick off what we will affectionately refer to as the Neon Wars on Fremont Street. The Neon Wars began during this time because not only had the technology recently made its way to the U.S. and demand was extremely high, but because in 1929, two sign makers opened up in Las Vegas, Bruce Brothers and Yesco. It was the Bruce Brothers who were responsible for building the first neon sign for a casino on Fremont Street. It was the Bruce Brothers who were responsible for building the first neon sign for a casino on Fremont Street. And out of the gate, they created the tallest sign in the city at the time for the Boulder Club. Standing 12 feet high, located just off the top of the two-story building. In retrospect, it looks very phallic. Regardless, the sign would become a template for other businesses to replicate for many years to come. In addition to the signage, the Boulder Club frontage also featured a mural centerpiece featuring the Boulder Dam. Shortly after the Bruce Brothers finished the Boulder signage, Yesco installed Fremont's third neon sign at the Northern Club, the new tallest sign in the city. Standing 16 feet tall, the sign flashed the word THE, then Northern Club, the first animated sign to grace the landscape. The neon wars didn't last long, as by 1932, about a year after the state re-legalized gambling, Bruce Brothers Electrical Company became the Nevada Electric Company and would partner with Yesco in their signage projects moving forward. Over the years, the Boulder Club would undergo a couple of exterior renovations. In 1933, the property would install a much larger marquee, 
Still similar in style to the original, but featuring a foaming beer stein and the word Kino at the bottom. A clock was added to it in 1936. They also replaced the mural with large block letters spelling out the name Boulder Club. In July of 1945, they would replace the sign again with one of similar design, but with rounded edges and no more beer stein or Kino showcased. The letters on the frontage were replaced with a movie theater style marquee that extended over the sidewalk, adorning the phrase, enjoy the old west on both sides of it, along with a list of the various games of chance available inside. This theater marquee, calling back to the property's original signage, once again featured the mural of the Boulder Dam. But the most notable change was the addition of a freestanding sign, similar to that used by Golden Nugget and Pioneer Club at the time, with the name of the property displayed and the phrase, bets from a dime up underneath it, and two large cascading arrows pointing down to the property. On November 25, 1956, the Boulder Club had a fire. The source is unknown, but firefighters believe it originated in the dressing rooms on the second story of the building. The fire quickly swept through the second floor offices and meeting spaces. Fortunately, no one was injured. While the casino was evacuated, it was reported that, under heavy armed guard, Owners moved $190,000 from the safe at the Boulder Club to their neighbor, the Horseshoe Club, for safekeeping. Even though the fire would not damage the casino, it would suffer considerable water damage from the water needed to put the flames out leaking through the ceiling. Damage to the property was estimated at $200,000, and ownership informed management that the club could no longer remain in business. New ownership, led by J.K. Halso Sr. and Milton Farmer Page, stepped up and took over the operations of the Boulder Club. Stepped up and took over operations of the Boulder Club. However, four years later, on September 3, 1960, Farmer Page died. As a result, on September 30, 1960, the Boulder Club closed. This time for good, 31 years after receiving the first legal gaming license. The Horseshoe Club next door agreed to take over the space knock out the wall separating the two, and expand into it. That project was completed January 1st, 1961. The evolution of the Horseshoe Club begins in 1932 with the opening of the Apache Hotel and Casino on the corner of Fremont Street and 2nd, known today as Casino Center Boulevard. Technically, the Apache's address was 102 2nd Street, but it existed on floors above Fremont addresses 124, 126, and 128. When the Apache opened, 128 Fremont was the Apache Cafe, 126 was Forrester's Jewelers, and 124 was the Apache Casino. 1941 is when this section of Block 15 would begin its evolution. It started when, much like some casino companies today, the Apache thought that they could make more money leasing the space on the first floor out to a tenant rather than handling the cost and risk of running a casino themselves. So. They leased out 124 Fremont Street, the western half of the first floor of the Apache Hotel, to the New Western Casino. There is some information that says that the New Western Casino was simply known as the Western for a time. However, no photographic evidence can be found to corroborate this claim. By 1943, it appears that 126, the Forrester Jeweler Shop, was absorbed by 124 Fremont and became part of the New Western Casino. In 1945, Tony Cornero took over the Apache Cafe space at 128 Fremont and renamed it the SS Rex Club. 
The property was named after one of Tony's infamous California gaming ships, moored in legal troubles with the state. Owners of these ships used to anchor themselves three miles off the coast of California so that they would be in international waters and therefore not subject to state and federal laws. Then they would shuttle guests from land to the ships. The SS Rex on Fremont didn't last long because the gaming board couldn't find suitable owners. Cornero originally applied for a gaming license under the name Tony Strala. Not only did it not fool anyone at the commission, it annoyed them, and Cornero was outright denied a license. So, a carousel of owners would attempt to get the SS Rex license, including Guy McAfee, best known as the creator of the Golden Nugget, and Mo Sedway, the guy who walked in and assumed control of the Flamingo the day Bugsy was murdered. But, knowing these were just attempts to secure a license for Cornero, the agency would not approve an owner for the SS Rex. In 1947, Cornero gave up, and new ownership took over the space and rebranded it the El Dorado Club. We don't know much about the El Dorado Club, except that in 1949, they expanded into the new Western Casino space at 124 Fremont, giving them the entire first floor of the Apache Hotel and officially consolidating the two addresses into one. 128 Fremont Street. In 1951, Benny Binion sold his interest in the Westerner Casino on Block 2, known today as Circa, and purchased majority interest in the El Dorado Casino for $250,000. Renovations on the property to the tune of $350,000 began almost immediately to rebrand it Benny Binion's Horseshoe Club. However, Benny's plans encountered a snag from the beginning. Despite just giving up a valid gaming license for the Westerner and having the support of the city commissioners, due to lingering legal issues in his home state of Texas, the state tax commission denied Binion a license to run the El Dorado, believing doing so would be a black eye to the industry and the state. So, Benny had the former owner of the El Dorado and the minority owner of the Horseshoe Club, Dr. Monty Bernstein, apply for a license without Benny's name included. Considering he already had a license to run the El Dorado Club, it was actually little more than a renewal request with a name change. The story goes, Bernstein was approved after reassuring the agency that Benny would not have a hand in the casino operations. Instead, Benny was listed as the owner of a bar and a restaurant on property. However, from day one, it was widely known that this was Benny's place. In fact, the night before the grand opening, Bernstein panicked when he saw that the chips had Binion's name on them. Too late to order new chips, he grabbed several employees and worked on having them scratch out the name on all the chips. The Horseshoe would be the property that would make Benny a legend in the gaming industry, perhaps one of the greatest casino mines of all time. It was the first property on Fremont to replace sawdust floors with carpet. Another first, drink service would be comped for players, and slot machines and table game placement became a logical, scientific and strategic decision. Today, these are all considered to be standard operating procedure in a Las Vegas casino. The Horseshoe also quickly became a popular destination with gamblers and spectators as well because of the high limits offered, typically accepting any and all bets out in the open so high limit gambling could be witnessed by all, sending tourists home with stories for their friends. The radical transformation into one of the premier establishments downtown made it obvious that Benny was running the place, and as a result, was largely considered to be an embarrassment to the agency and their inability to effectively regulate the gaming industry. So, in December of 1951, after a semi-closed-door meeting with Benny, 
the tax commission approved him for a probationary license, clarifying that it could be revoked at any time should any future actions be considered damaging to the industry. Unfortunately, Binion's past did eventually catch up with him, and in 1953, he was convicted of tax evasion and sentenced to five years in prison. As a result of the conviction, he lost his gaming license and was forced to sell his stake in the casino. So we picked his friend, New Orleans oil man Joe W. Brown. At $858,000, Benin not only recouped his entire investment in the Horseshoe Club, but made a decent profit. However, from the beginning, this move was largely considered to be exactly what it was, a stand-in for Benny until he was done with his legal troubles. An attempt to reinforce the property was under new ownership. It was renamed Joe Brown's Horseshoe Club. However, in 1958, dealing with declining health, Joe sold the Horseshoe to the Fremont Corporation. They would run the property under simply the Horseshoe Club. In Joe Brown's defense, he did a lot more for the city of Vegas than just be a stand-in owner for his friend. He facilitated the creation of two icons in the city, the Million Dollar Display and the Convention Center. The Million Dollar Display was an idea that Benny got from a trip to D.C. He saw one at the U.S. Treasury attracting crowds. It was Joe's idea to display them in a gold horseshoe. Joe was also the one who supplied the notes displayed, $110,000 bills. The Convention Center. Joe bought the bankrupt 480-acre Las Vegas racetrack in 1955 for $2.6 million and gifted it to the city to build a convention center on. Unfortunately, that convention center wouldn't be built until after Joe's death in 1959. Once Benny was released from prison, the Binion family reacquired the horseshoe in 1964. Since he would never be allowed to have a gaming license again due to his felony conviction, his sons Jack and Ted would run the property, with Benny listed as the director of public relations. The property was renamed Binion's Horseshoe Club at the Apache and would operate under the Binion's name for the next 40 years. But before we can finish this evolution, we have to tell you the story of the Mint. We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Yeah.